Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. I really do like chicken nuggets. And my adulthood friend, Minty Bose. Minty and we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! We have many social media platforms that you can engage with us on, or in, or around. First of all, we have a YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents, and you can find all of our amazing video content there, including some cracking miniseries Chris has produced, all about the history of video games, loads of streaming content, and some rather tasty nuggets coming very soon. We also have a Twitch channel for those of you who want to log on to watch us stream live. You can find us at O3C Podcast. Also at O3C Podcast is our Instagram profile and IGTV channel where you can find all our video content, loads of great photos, including a nice picture of a Kirby dog bed that I've just put in my office. <laughs> and if you're really enjoying what we're doing, you can also check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash our three cents. We've got loads of perks available there for people who may want to pledge a little bit of monetary support unto us, which we would hugely appreciate because it will allow us to make even more content to share with you wonderful people. So if you fancy getting involved in some of the amazing exclusive perks we have there, then do hop on over to that Earl and check it out. So this week we have our 19th favourite video games of all time. We're into the top 20, well and truly now. We're a teenager. God. We're Benjamin buttoning it. Benjamin buttoning all our way to discovering our balls. (laughs) (laughs) But before we dive into what we've been playing this week, it's time to return to the quiz. I'm ready. There are only two points separating you now, so let's see what happens here. Pikachu is one of the species of creatures in Pokemon. which series... Correct. Is that really the question? <laughs> that, is, that is the question. Oh, yep. fuck off. Like... <laughs> 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 I, I, didn't, I didn't even think that was worth answering. Like, I, I was sure that was going to be in a particular generation or, or you know, in a particular spin-off game. Well, you snooze, you lose, mate, and you snozzed and you lost... So that is now 41 points to Chris and 40 to Minty. Well done, Minty. Thank you. The early Pidgey gets the Widgey. (laughs) 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 So what have we played this week? What have we played? I'll tell you what I've played. I have played nothing but Super Mario 64. <laughs> Good. And, uh, and, and I'm having a great time. I, I really am. I'm surprised in equal part at how little I remember and how much I remember of the game. <laughs> because there's some weird things that I remember, like seemingly quite sort of obscure things. But then there's this huge swathes of stuff that I just, I just don't remember. Like I just flat out don't remember it. It's really weird. <laughs> I was doing a bit of research today looking at what was added and changed in Mario 64 DS, which obviously I did play quite a lot of. They changed a lot more than than I kind of initially thought. Like it's it's like there's whole new abilities in there, which I didn't realise, like the breathing fire and the blowing up into a balloon. They're not in 64 at all. No. And there was like a new, new uh, objective in each of the different levels, in each different courses. 
obviously there was like the transformational stuff and loads of different things, loads of stuff. So uh, yeah, so this does feel like a more stripped back minimalist bare bones game than that mainly because there's not like five thousand rabbits running around that you need to catch but uh yeah <laughs> M- i'm up mips to and bips and pips and whoever they're called oh god yeah i forgot they all had names didn't they and they're all different colors depending on which yeah. carriage you had to be to catch. yeah anyway i do miss a lot of those things because i think a lot of those features were absolutely superb and i think if there was going to be i think if they'd have done a full from the ground remake of the game I think they would have included most of those things because yeah. I do think that they improved the game and certainly modernized it a lot. But I'm, I'm up to about 80 stars now, something like that. I'm going to go back at the end and get all like the 100 coin stars, but I've done that on a couple as I've been going along. Where the ones where it's sort of, you know, I sort of realized I was close and thought oh, I may as well go and pick up a few more and, and get that. It is good. It is very good. And I'm, I'm, I feel much more at ease with all the, the mechanics now and everything. Still a bit frustrated at the, the camera, but. I think that's just par for the course. Yeah, it's understandable. It has made me really want to try out that 4K port on the PC. Do it. Well, I, I think I'm going to wait until I finish it, because otherwise I, I fear I'll do that and then be like, well, I'm never playing that fucking original <laughs> port ever again. Yeah. My God. Yeah, this is the problem. How have you been getting on with Mario 3D All-Stars, Chris? I, I still really enjoy it. I'm, I'm still playing Mario 64, like you have been. Mm-hmm. I think I'm... Like just shy of the midpoint. I think when I last played it, I was at like 55, 56 stars. Yeah. So a little, a little bit behind where you are. I've got nothing to whinge about this week, which is which is nice, isn't it? <laughs> I, I just think it's amazing how well the game holds up for being almost 25 years old. Yeah. You know, you know, we're looking at a game that is a quarter of a century old. And aside from, like you say, rightly, the, the camera is really awkward. But outside of those sort of niggles, like in sort of tight areas and stuff like that, the game could have launched today and, and be like, slightly higher resolution and with the textures tarted up a little bit and you'd go oh yeah that's that could be a game that came out came out in 2020 yeah and it, and it just it, it doesn't feel like a, a dawn of a genre game and and i think the, the biggest part of that is because the, the move set is so ridiculously expansive for the time yeah yeah like it, it really it, is it boggles my mind like when you play 64 now we've obviously we're playing this with the hindsight of things like odyssey most recently odyssey i think is still like the gold standard for 3d movement in in any title really but the fact that almost all of the basics were in 64 is is insane to think about. Mm. Like the yeah. other day, I beat the Red Coin Star on on Wet Dry World, and to do that, I think I think it's intended that you kind of you break the blocks that the, the red coins are in, and then you manipulate the water to come back up, so you can just swim and collect them and, and make it a lot easier for yourself. But I I did the whole thing just by triple jumping and then wall kicking and and just getting around using the the movement that was available to me. Yeah, and there are no other games of this era where that choice existed. No. They, they just, they they weren't things. <laughs> you know, if, if you think its contemporaries were Crash Bandicoot, which is completely linear, just like running into the screen or running away from the screen, yeah. that, that's it. You, you've got stuff like Croc, like we joke about all the time, being a tank controlled. <laughs> Legend of the Gobshites. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got the, the absolute visual assault that was Bubsy 3D. All these things launched basically, you know, at the same time. And, and none of them had much outside of just 360 degree movement whereas you know mario 64 is still a game where you've just got such a smorgasbord of of movement options that i just i'm glad that it's got a home again on a current console so people can kind of see it and go bloody hell that really (laughs) was forward thinking yeah this is a game that was seriously ahead of the curve for for anything we kind of whinge about now in sort of the quality of life stuff that's missing I, i think so much is there that 
you know the life of this game deserves to go on <laughs> you know yeah. wh- whether or not it has these kind of like quality amendments i, I think it's just a, a great package that it's really nice that people are getting to experience now for, in some cases for the first time yeah minty have you dove into 3d all-stars or are you still on your xenoblade chronicle no no i'm uh, I, i've played played a fair bit of mario 64 i thought i'm just going to get this out of the way so that i can move on to sunshine because that's <laughs> the one that i really want to play I mean, that's basically what I'm doing. Turns out it's a heck of a good time getting it out of the way. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely 100%ing <laughs> it. I got to Tall Tall Mountain, and then I realised that Tall Tall Mountain is not that fun a level, so I started playing Doom 2 instead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've literally just finished Tall Tall Mountain uh, this evening. What bit did you stop enjoying it on? Uh, trying to get 100 coins. The monkey. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't do that. Uh, that, is, that explains it. Has anybody played anything else this week? I have, actually for a change like it's been a heavy few weeks of work but i've had not lots of time but just little pockets here and there like i've tried to do Pouches. some fun stuff in mm. the last week <laughs> um i played a a card combat roguelike game on the pc oh so it's probably right up your street Jonathan. yeah <laughs> called neoverse okay reviews mentioned that it was quite similar in setup to something like slay the spire yeah. which i know you enjoyed but I, yeah. I haven't played personally but it's really addictive like you're essentially you just you're fighting through a gauntlet of battles you get an evolving deck of cards that after meeting certain requirements you might get new cards after meeting other requirements you might get to bin a card and sort of shift up your your loadout kind of thing sure but it's it's quite fun just to play for small pockets of time like i said like i've i've had a lot of time this week where i'm i'm doing work in the evening and then it's nice to have something on the laptop i can be like you know i've i've earned 10 minutes of fun (laughs) while while i just do that for a bit and then i'll come back to this work in a while so, so that's been quite nice. I, I also played because I, I picked it up cheap in, in a sale. I don't know if anyone played the, the ancient Wild West game Gun. Oh, gosh, yeah. This is going back a long time. I, yeah, I remember it. I beat it 100% on the 360 uh, back like around when I first got that console. Mm. It's, it's basically an open world cowboy game long before Red Dead Redemption was a thing. Yeah. And, and it's quite interesting to see someone else tackle that sort of genre since the only thing we associate with it is is rockstar's effort yeah, yeah yeah. you know it's it's an early 2000s game it's it's kind of wonky in places but it's it's quite nicely done i, I think the voice acting is quite decent the story is quite nice but I've, I've played it on the pc uh, and it's been you know a bit of work to get it going again as with mm. lots of mid-2000s games they don't always play brilliantly out of the box but I quite enjoy that sort of tinkering. So it's just been another project to have in the background to, oh. to kind of like, can we make this in widescreen? Is that a thing we can do? And then, you know, you just fuck about on forums until you find the right files to install <laughs> and away you go. And I, I get quite a lot of joy out of that. So Good. again, the, these sort of projects, it's been nice to have not tons of time, but just little 15, 20 minute chunks here and there yeah. just to break up the walls of work I'm, I'm currently doing. Nice, nice. But yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that in the in the next week I can finish Mario 64 and get onto Mario Sunshine. I, I very much missed my usual Sea of Thieves weekly voyage uh, this last week because I was just working too much. But we've got one scheduled in for this coming week, and I think we're going to attempt another one of the Tall Tales, and we are going to record it for the YouTube oh, channel. So uh, yeah, I look forward yeah. to seeing that. Yeah, it may, may possibly already be uploaded by the time you listen to this, depending on when you listen to this. <laughs> Shall we move on to the rankings? Yeah, let's do it. Starting this week, we have Chris's game. Chris, can you please tell us what your 
19th favorite video game of all time is yes i've been excited for this one i mean i'm excited for all of these like top end <laughs> games but but in particular this has been like bubbling for a little while ah. this this is the the fourth and final game of my playstation 2 launch day bonanza if you remember i, I talked ah. about getting these four games with my console yes so it's so it's the last of the the tetralogy of games that changed what i thought about video games forever so we've we've already had time crisis 2 uh, we had gta 3 uh, we had Pro Evolution Soccer that I used kind of PES 6 as the representation for. And now finally, a game that we've already heard about on, on Jonathan's list. <coughs> it is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Now, I've, I was a little sad that the launch of the recent remaster of, of 1 and 2 didn't fall now. <laughs> because I thought that would have been such like a seamless, you know, speech to be like, oh, the new one's great and, and the old one's great and I, I love this franchise and everything else. But... It didn't quite happen. The, the stars didn't quite align. Mm. We said the other week that the Vicarious Visions update of, of 1 and 2 is fantastic. It, it's such a, an, an amazing like revisit to those early games. And as I said then, I think it's so good that it now sits alongside 3 as, as being just the pinnacle of the series for me personally. I enjoyed 4. I didn't mind Underground 1 and 2. Uh, I, I got really into American Wasteland and, and the DS spin-off Skateland around, around the time they came out. And, and I even bungled through the, the quite ropey Project 8 on the 360. Like it was the first next-gen one. It, it wasn't it wasn't great, but <laughs> I put up with it. <laughs> Having never really played the first two games properly when they came out, um, you know, I've only revisited them much later. Three was my introduction to the series and, and basically has remained my, my very favourite game in the franchise to date. There's there's almost no point going over the basics of what this game is because it's it's very current at the moment. We've talked about it quite a lot recently. It is a skateboarding game. It's an arcade score attack skateboarding game where you get two minutes on a map to complete objectives, which might be finding X of Y. Uh, <laughs> it might be hitting a certain score. It might be doing a certain trick over a certain gap or area of the level or something a little bit more cryptic sometimes as well. It's really, really simple. And what works for this game is even though the controls take some serious getting used to if you've never played the game before, even in your very first run, when you're kind of grappling with the control pad and getting the hang of what you're doing, the challenge is about figuring how to do things, not what to do. It's always very, very clear what you need to be doing and what you're looking for, as opposed to you just going in blind and having no idea what's going on in front of you. So it's, you know, it's communicated well. The game is kind of set up well. And I think the joy of the Tony Hawk's franchise for me has been when you play it for the first time, when I picked up three for the first time, there is a gradual shift in, in emphasis for, for you as the player. So when you first start a Tony Hawk's game, completely fresh, this was the first one I'd really seen and put any time into, it was about mastering the controls, like I mentioned. It was about getting used to how the movement mechanics and scoring worked. It was about how to kind of get from, from A to B and starting to combine lines and gaps to, to boost up your score. That's like main priority. I want, to, I want to get better at just getting around the stage. And the game is set up in a really nice way as well, that every stage has score challenges that, that reflect that idea that you need a ramping difficulty to kind of push you forwards. So, you know, there's a high score that you'll probably get by accident just by kind of hopping about and seeing what the buttons do. There's a pro score that you'll get kind of by putting in some effort and starting to get the hang of it. And then finally, there's the sick score, the highest one, which you, you will earn from being skillful. You have to then be decent at the game to get it. Once you're more comfortable with kind of getting around the, the just general traversal, then Tony Hawk's becomes like a game of exploration. And, and it's not dissimilar to like an N64 platformer. Like you're looking for a certain amount of something. 
that the objectives of things like squash five pumpkins or grind five valves or impress certain NPCs that are dotted around. And the emphasis moves away from just being purely score attack to then being a game about exploration. And that, that's a really nice shift as you kind of get better with it. Then when those goals are kind of beaten and vanquished, it becomes a game that's about skate culture more broadly. Because you know by this point, because you're getting these scores, how to grind a rail, or you know how to pull off a grab trick in the air. It's, you know, it's as simple as pressing triangle or circle or whatever that might be on, on your respective console. But you've got to start thinking, okay, well, how do I actually 50-50 a rail? What does that mean as, as something that's different? Or how do I perform an air walk over a particular gap? What's the button combination for that? And although there is this helpful menu in the game that lets you look at any trick combinations and, and think about how that works, part of the fun for me as a kid was, was that sort of realisation that there is correlation between the buttons you are pressing in terms of directions and, and what your board is doing. So it, it's not purely just, oh, triangle always does something. It's, you know, triangle and a direction will actually push your board in that direction. And that's why you're grinding with the centre of it or the side of it or something. It's not a game that worries about realism at all, as, as you get like billion point <laughs> combos and leap over buildings. But it is a game that's still grounded in, in a certain real world skate logic. And that was always really satisfying as a kid. Because of that, if, if you've ever played any of the Tony Hawk's games growing up, I can almost guarantee that you'll have like a working knowledge of the basics of skateboarding. And, and I think it's remarkable that at 33 years old now, I could make a joke with people of my generation about ollies and kickflips and the jokes will land, no pun intended, <laughs> because whether the person I'm speaking to has any interest in, in skate culture or gaming, they probably saw or played Tony Hawk's at some point. It's just, it was such a cultural juggernaut for that time that it was like inescapable that some of these bits of terminology have just infected popular culture. When you beat all those goals, you then start thinking about the stuff that's a bit more cryptic, like I mentioned before. So you've got challenges that now ask you to basically understand everything you've already, I've already mentioned, but also then understand the internal logic of Tony Hawk's game world. So not just how skating works, but how this world works. And you have goals that might be titled things like bury that bully in Canada or help the thin man in suburbia. <laughs> they need you to understand not just the movement tech of the game, but also that within this world, there is kind of like an object permanence where your actions can impact the layout and function of bits of the map. Like some of these goals have, have obvious solutions, but others will ask you to basically stop your skater dead in the center of the map and really look around at what's available to you. Think about, you know, how do I get from A to B with, a certain item or, or how do I impact something that mean I, I can get to a place I couldn't before and it gives it kind of the framework almost of an adventure game like the, the classic sort of bring this here to activate this or move this from a point to that point in a certain way that will will trigger that and it's just it's a constantly evolving game despite the fact it's just a quick score based two minute action game finally when you've beaten all the goals and, and you get through a career mode it's a game that becomes about starting over and just refining your skills and getting better and better and better and I think it's lovely that every character you can choose in the game, which is a range of like famous skateboarders at the time, as well as bizarre secrets in this one, like Tony Hawk's then barely out of nappies children, uh, Darth Maul <laughs> from Star Wars Episode One, like they they all have their own career, and by extension their own unlockables. Like although the objectives that you will play through are broadly the same throughout the game, uh, with like the, the subtle variations. If your skater is a street or, or vert skater, you get slightly different goals. But you do unlock a unique closing video for all of them. So everyone's got something to, to get and a reason for playing through the game again that would showcase like their real life skating skills if it was one of the actual you know, pro skaters in, in the game. 
in this post-game period when I was playing this game a lot, Tony Hawk's became a game that was almost like speedrunning before I knew what speedrunning was. Because a first playthrough probably took me five hours to beat the whole game. The second one might have taken me three hours. And then the one after that might have taken two. Until when I'm like five or six characters deep, I could beat the game in 35, 40 minutes. Mm. It was something that was just like such a joy to just sit down for an hour, run through the whole thing and feel like I'd achieved something whilst having a boatload of fun (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) Like what I really loved as well, I was desperate to be able to skate as a kid. Like I mentioned previously on the the podcast, I I was useless at it, but I I wanted to be immersed in, in skate culture at the time. And, and what Tony Hawk's 3 gave me was those little videos at the end of every run, like I said, like the, the pro skater videos. And it was just like this tantalizing carrot on the end of a stick that when I'd unlocked them, I'd just watch them again and again. The, the Rodney Mullen video in particular, I still think is one of the most insane things I saw as a teenager in, in any medium. <laughs> and it's another one of those moments that I remember calling my parents into the room to sit around the boxy CRT <laughs> to be like, look what this man's doing. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. And, and I still, like recently, I watched some skate videos on YouTube and now I'm on like a three four month long rabbit hole where every time yeah. <laughs> i load youtube that's all it's recommending to me and i'm, I'm not i'm not unhappy <laughs> it's just I, I find it it's absolutely magic like skateboarding I, I really really love it i've mentioned before that i didn't really play the first two entries in the franchise when they came out i'd seen them i knew they existed but my personal experience with them was was basically nil so so tony hawk's pro skater 3 just became my world for the few months after that christmas when i got the ps2 And it just felt like, looking back on it now, the best time to pick up this franchise. Like, it had none of the open-world bloat of the later games. Uh, It had none of the ridiculous, like, car driving that was in Underground. Like, who who the fuck wants to drive a car in in Tony Hawk's? It had none of the stealth sections. Like, do you remember those missions? Yeah. Again, I I think that was very much just, like, (laughs) tacking on to whatever trends were sort of prevalent in gaming at the time. And it, it didn't make the game better for being in there. Splinter Cell, more like Skater Cell. What? <laughs> it had it had none of the Jackass inspired stuff that was in Underground Two either. It was far more grounded. Tony Hawk's Three was was a point where the franchise was still bound to its two minute run timers. It was more restrictive with its move set than it would go on to be, but it was still ridiculous enough to to really give you the options to go and do anything. Like if you play the first game, a combo is never longer than uh, a flip trick into a grind into a trick out and then landing by by the second game you had manuals so you could do essentially that line but then carry on into another grind potentially by by using the manual to traverse across flatland but by three you had these potentially infinite combos because the crucial addition of the revert being able to kind of like spin your board 180 degrees when you when you land back on a half pipe and it meant that now you could use air tricks in combos as well so you could expand your combinations into ramps to an air trick to a revert to a manual to a ramp to an air it it would just go on indefinitely and i don't think the series has ever really felt better than it did here i mentioned when we talked about the remaster recently it basically stops including any of the additions that came in after tony hawks 4 and i think that was a really clever thing to do because the game felt worse to play with every iteration yeah I, i don't think any of the additions improved it outside of the ones like i say like the revert was the real game changer the ability to transition between like ramps and bowls that was added in four was was a nice addition, I guess, but it's not as important as just being able to make a combo last longer, like like you could in three with the revert. And I, and I think it's a move that's as iconic as like the Hadouken in in Street Fighter. 
because without it, it's like the game just doesn't work for me. As much as I enjoyed playing Tony Hawk's on the Dreamcast earlier this year, it's it's a very different game for not having the ability to actually move across the stage quickly by by utilizing the moveset you have. And it was far more about kind of like picking your spots to really think about what you were going to pull off on on a particular ramp or, or a particular grind or whatever. Obviously, because we're getting to this stage of the list, I could talk about this game forever, but I won't. <laughs> I'll be nice to you. I mean, I, I could say it's one of the first games I managed to play online using a broadband adapter on the PS2 oh, wow. uh, that you shoved into the back of it like a big square backpack. <laughs> I, I could say how the licensed soundtrack that had things like CKY, Alien Ant Farm, The Ramones, Red Man, Exhibit, all, all this kind of like strange coalescence of music that I was hearing at the same time on, on MTV2, on, you know, on, on digital channels, and that no doubt probably helped me explore genres I had no previous exposure to and, and sculpted probably a lot of the stuff I listen to today. And, and I could say as well, like how this was a game alongside the others I received on that Christmas day that I, I bonded really, really seriously with, with my brother over despite having like very different hobbies outwardly and interests, this was something that we both were obsessed with for this period. I, I really hope with, with every fibre of my being that 3 is next on the list to remaster for Vicarious Visions. Mm. Whether that's as a double pack alongside 4 in some capacity or like a standalone piece of DLC or, or a budget release that's distinct from the other, I think it'd be great to see again with, with some of the tweaks that have been added in, in that like slightly modernised engine. Tony Hawk's for me... I think when you're young, you have these certain rites of passage that you go through, like physical rites of passage. So it could be like being taught to kick a ball for the first time, the very basics of a sport like football. It could be when you learn to swim. Uh, It could be the first time if you're one of these people that picks up a musical instrument, because all these activities are built around like developing muscle memory. And and it still amazes me today the way the brain works that I can kick a ball in a a straight line without thinking. I can pick up a guitar and, and, and... you know play a song or strum a chord and it's just it's in my hands and and tony hawks is like it's the same feeling that i you know with the remaster i could feel like that muscle memory for for sliding up and down on the d-pad to initiate a manual i i can feel like the claw grip of, of the using the shoulder buttons to spin the board in the air the triple tap of the square button to initiate a triple kick flip or heel flip skills like these don't leave you and and it's just it serves as like a memory of just how good a game is that it's something that will stay with me always, whether or not I want it to. I, I think this, as a distillation of this type of game, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 is, is basically perfect in every way. I can't think of anything I would change about it other than just to have more of it in this style. And that's that's my real hope, that if we get a remaster, we just get a little little cherry on top to, <laughs> to take what's already a, a perfect, perfect meringue into a, a big old cake. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Hawk's Pro Caker 3. <laughs> Pro Baker. <laughs> Pro Baker. Very good. Oh, Very shocking. Good. Moving on, we have Minty's game. Oh, Minty, oof. can you please tell us about your 19th favourite baking game? Yes. I, <laughs> today, it's part two of my Naughty Minty series. Ah. I'm coming in today with my 19th favourite game, Cart of all time okay (laughs) my descent into the verbose complicated and fairly cringeworthy world of the jrpg is a little Mm. bit of a messy one in my head at least i remember very clearly wanting more in-depth storytelling following such games as paper mario and the pokemon series being 
dissatisfied with the good and evil binary of such things as the Zelda series also. There was a period in the mid-2000s where I devoured these enormous 60-hour games at a rate of knots. I can't remember the order that I played them in. Those few years have sort of homogenised into a big glut of the little boy with the arrogant hair that could stories. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the best I played during that period wasn't anything so grand as Final Fantasy X or the weird, desolate, everyone is either a bodybuilder, a scientist or a child world of Pokemon Colosseum. <laughs> Rather a gentle remake on a pleasantly small system. It's uh, Dawn of Souls the Game Boy Advance remake of Final Fantasy 1 and 2. Ah. I originally got this little collection because I just wanted to see, I wanted to see just how far the JRPG as a genre had come in the past 25 years. More of a history lesson than anything else. One of those ones that you sort of, oh yes, of course I have to play this because it's part of history, you know. Day it came, open palm slapped that bad boy into my DS and got ready to be like, huh, well this is a little dated. But the simplicity of these two games shines through. Such a simple premise and clarity of purpose. You and three friends go on a journey to defeat a great evil. I mean, we've heard it all before. Story as old as time. But that simplicity is what makes what is normally an off-puttingly complicated genre easy and fun to play. You choose your character's classes, much like a D&D campaign. You can have a fighter, a thief, a wizard, a healer or a monk, and then you set out to restoring the powers of the four great elemental crystals to defeat monstrous avatar of chaos. In the second one, you do the same, but instead of a big mustard-coloured demon with a face for a penis, it's a demonic <laughs> emperor hell-bent on domination. It's great stuff. When you play the first game, at least, and you recognise lots of little different things that you've seen in the series uh, henceforth. You'll see many of the, the classic weapons like uh, Excalibur, uh, the Masamun, the Muramasa, even uh, characters like um, Sid Highwind, who's been in so many of the games uh, following on from the first one. And the great dragon god Bahamut appeared in the first one as well. He appeared at, I think it was the, the Tower of Trials or something like that. Basically, he, he, you were sent up this big tower to collect a great treasure that would make you stronger. But you get to the top of the tower and um, in the chest is just the, just a rat's tail. Oh. <laughs> you were meant to think, oh, well, just a rat's tail. That's, that's no good for anybody. What a waste of time. But then you give the rat's tail to Bahamut and he congratulates you for your shrewdness, seeing beyond the value of an object. And then uh, upgrades your character classes. It's it, it, it's it's a whole thing. It's great. It's great mm. for being the two earliest games in the series. They 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 are quite different in terms of gameplay mechanics. Obviously, uh, you have random encounters, you have boss fights, you have uh, this, that, and the other. All the things that you would expect from uh, very early role playing games. So in the first game, you fight enemies and you you level up. And your stats increased based on your your class. The fighter would get more strength and maybe a little bit of uh, intelligence because he can use uh, white magic spells. The monk would get nothing but HP and uh, strength all the way through. Uh, the rogue would get speed, etc., etc. But in Final Fantasy II, you don't get experience necessarily. Every time you finish a fight, your stats go up based on how well they were utilized in the battle Ooh. so the more health you lose the more max hp you gain at the end of the battle 
The more you use a sword, the higher your sword level goes up. The more you use magic, or a magic spell like uh, fire or blizzard, the more those individual spells go up. So you can really, you can really tweak how you want your party to be. It gives you an incredible level of customization, which I don't think I've really seen that much of in most games since. It's it was really refreshing and quite in depth for a game that was brought out so early. It was, it was quite remarkable. And then of course you've got the keyword system. So instead of just going up to somebody and saying, hello, I'm the hero, how can I help? And they're like, oh, my, my son has been kidnapped by goblins. And then you go and kill the goblins. Whenever you would talk to people, they would have a, like a, a specific keyword come up in red. You would learn that word and then you could then say that word to other people. So, uh, for example, the keywords wild rose is like the password of the, of the underground resistance fighting the emperor. So you would set, you'd tell that to various people and they'd be like, oh, okay, you're part of the resistance. Come into the secret base where we can, you know, heal you up and uh, continue the story. Or we're looking for Mithril. So let's ask so many people about where we can find Mithril. Oh, you want to find Mithril? Let's uh, jump on my snow sled and move on to the next part of the story. It kind of gave it a nice sort of investigative twist to just... Um, going through the story instead of being like oh okay well i'm on to the next page of this this book that i sometimes fight things in <laughs> that was really nice the more in-depth story as well in final fantasy 2 is a boon i remember there's one particular bit that always sticks out to me i always remember this you're frequently um giving updates in your quest to princess hilda she's sort of the person that um is leading the the resistance and you're sort of fighting on her behalf because she's you know the figurehead of the kingdom and due to politics she can't go out and take the fight to the emperor etc but you go back halfway through the game and the main character is split up from the rest of the party they're just they're all in their own rooms sort of resting and recuperating and you go and she calls you into her room you go and visit her and then she tries to seduce you <gasps> oh dear yeah this is another of minty's naughty games <laughs> Mm, well sexy <laughs> it never gets that far because it turns out she's an evil shapeshifter that you have to kill oh my a little bit of high intensity drama presumably she hadn't put that on her tinder profile no that wasn't one of the keywords <laughs> i think one of the things that really ties up this lovely little uh, collection with a lovely neat bow is the fact that there's extra content Ooh. we love to see it because when these games came out they had a like a whole raft of 2d games in in the series to sort of pick and choose the best bits from so each game has its own uh, extra dungeon final fantasy one had like had one that had four different levels and each level featured bosses from uh, final fantasy three four five and six depending on how deep you got so it was lovely to in some cases have a boss fight with somebody that you recognize from a game that you've played or Another one where it's like, oh, I don't recognise this boss. What game is that from? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, from Final Fantasy 3. Okay, well, I'll see if I can get a hold of that. I feel like I use the word as a nice celebration of these games a lot, but it really was a nice... Um, celebration of these games. <laughs> it really, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the best way to say it, but it was, it was nice having all of these um, iconic uh, boss characters in one place and being able to go through and fight them all with these characters that you've grown to... Uh, really connect with even though you're just playing it on a handheld and they're little pixel characters it's really great so there we go final fantasy dawn of souls 
That's my 19th favourite video game. Fantastic. Wowzers. Lovely. I tried playing the PSP version of the first Final Fantasy that I'm not sure if it had the extra bits that were in Dawn of Souls or not. And, and I think I made it to about halfway through the game for some reason got distracted and then dropped it. Mm. But I, I was really enjoying it for the same reason I really enjoyed Dragon Quest when I talked about that, what feels like 50 years ago. Because it was kind of a more streamlined, simple take on, on the JRPG. Mm. So yeah, this sounds like a really nice way to experience those games as, as this collection. And I'm, I'm quite sad I never had it to play when I had my Game Boy Advance. It's Final Fantasy distilled and it's really great. I think it's, it's, it's a must play for sure. Well, there we go. I, I like the idea of being able to play through all the Final Fantasy games. I'd, I'd like to do that. <laughs> When I get the chance to do that, I don't know. I don't think I'll get a chance to do that before Final Fantasy 16 comes out. There's many hours to play through. So yeah, who knows? Maybe one day I, I, I will get round to it. And uh, this has is, is, is further whetted my appetite. Practically salivating. Whet. So lastly, but not leastly, we have my game. Let's hear it, Jonathan Dunn. Hello. My game this week is the fourth game from this series on my list. Zelda. And there's still Zelda. five games in this series still to come. Zelda. It's a Zelda game. Five, really? It's Ocarina of Time. Oh, there we go. Which one? If you'd have stopped being a dick and listened, you might, you might now be, be behind. Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time, Ocarina of time yeah? Yes. Ocarina. Yeah. So, let's go back in time to 1998. Little 11-year-old Jonathan in year seven with his friend, little 11-year-old Chris Dow. Hello. And his other 11-year-old friend, Chris Devereaux. The three of us sat in a year seven English class with our English teacher, the rotund and roaring Mr. Ratcliffe. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Mr. Ratcliffe, God rest his soul, was a teacher straight out of the 1950s, floral in his language, occasionally dipping into Latin almost as frequently as he would dip into something a bit stronger, if rumours were to be believed. (laughs) He fit right into an all-boys grammar school in Kent, but absolutely wasn't built to sustain the modernisation of the world around him, I think. He certainly struggled to comprehend his classroom when girls started being introduced in his sixth form classes. (laughs) Utterly lost. So when he set us the task of writing a miscellaneous project... I'm still utterly baffled how he gave my project on The Legend of Zelda full marks. I imagine that literally every single line in that project went so far over his head that it must have given him the bends and confounded him into thinking this project was good. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, it was a good project. Like, I started by giving a full account of Link's Awakening, all the dungeons, all the items, all the characters... Full chapter of the uh, of the project was dedicated to the trading sequence. I scanned in pictures from the little manual to put alongside the content as well. But I remember thinking what an absolute whopping lie David Jerusalem Ratcliffe wrote next to my mark at the bottom of my project. And it said, very interesting. I don't believe a single letter of that sentiment <laughs> rang true in his Dickensian brain. Now, if I remember correctly, we had several weeks to complete this project, and I'd basically whacked out this entire project on Link's Awakening in the first week. And our good friend, Christopher Devereaux, remarked to me that I should really play the latest Legend of Zelda game, the revolutionary step into 3D that was Ocarina of Time. And he said that I should add some stuff about Ocarina of Time into my project. But he said to me, if you do that, your project is going to be about Ocarina of Time first and Link's Awakening second. 
I thought. <laughs> Nothing will eclipse Link's Awakening. How could it possibly? But one day after school, I went back to Dev's house and sat in his bedroom, and he introduced me to Link's first 3D outing. And it was incredible. It, it looked like Link's Awakening looked in my mind when I played it, but it was so filled with life and colour, and, and I think I struggled to comprehend it. I, I don't remember how much the game we, we played through together, but I, I did indeed end up adding a section to my English project on Ocarina of Time, which it, it expanded the, the more and more Dev told me about the game. He even lent me the manual to scan in at home and add some pictures into the project. Perfect. And as it happened, when, when I came to finally put the project into a binder to present to Mr. Ratcliffe, I accidentally put the Ocarina of Time content before the Link's Awakening content, thus fulfilling Dev's <laughs> prophecy that Ocarina of Time would eclipse Link's Awakening. Now, given that Link's Awakening hasn't appeared on my list yet, you'll know that it didn't quite fully eclipse how much that game meant to me, but Ocarina of Time is still a game that means a lot to me, despite the fact that I never owned an N64 or a copy of the original version of the game. In fact, the first time I owned the game was when I bought Mario Kart Double Dash on the GameCube and qualified to claim my copy of The Legend of Zelda Collector's Edition, which I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And on that disc were the original Zelda NES game, Zelda 2 The Adventures of Link, which no one ever played, Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time, and also the Ocarina of Time Master Quest variant of the game. And I think that must have been the first time I played through the game in its entirety. And, and every single location in the game was so unbelievably atmospheric that... I didn't mind that the graphics were a lot more polygonal than the other games I was playing on the GameCube. Like the music in The Lost Woods still gives me shivers up my spine as it, it triggers those like warm, comforting childhood memories. The deeply atmospheric music in the Forest Temple still fills me with dread. And then you've got the breath of fresh air and musical form that is the music in Hyrule Field it still makes me just... Just, just want to ride a horse. Oh, yeah. It's very clippy-cloppy, isn't it? All the little ocarina tunes that, that you use in the game have a special resonance when I hear them, especially like the beautifully haunting Song of Storms. Absolutely wonderful. And in the same way that Nintendo successfully migrated Mario from 2D to 3D, presenting their mascot in an entirely new way, but still retaining the same feeling of experience that you, you had had from the 2D games, they did that here with Ocarina of Time. Like Link's Awakening was the only other Zelda game I'd played prior to this, and, and there were so many familiar elements in Ocarina of Time that allowed me to, to dive into this new dimension and, and feel quite at ease. You know, there was the same basic dungeon setup with, you know, a map and a compass, small keys and a boss key to find. There was, you know, the same sort of like interconnected world, a very similar item and weapon set, including sword and shield, bow and arrow, the hookshot, bombs. There were even some very familiar characters like Malin and Talon being very reminiscent of Marin and Tarin in Link's Awakening. And there was, of course, an epic trading sequence as well. The best bit. It's, I mean, I love the trading <laughs> sequence, you know, as if giving bananas to a crocodile and you ending up getting a boomerang was one thing. You know, in this game, you're, you're hatching a, a bloody chicken, waking a man up from a lovely nap and getting a giant's knife. Brilliant. Inspired. No, you're getting bigger on sword. You can just buy the giant's knife. Well... I stand corrected. And it's an incredible testament to Nintendo that it felt like, like such a seamless transition going from 2D Zelda to 3D. And the revolutionary Z targeting system was, I mean, a literal game changer and has become the only way to deal with combat in a 3D game. And they were just casually like, yeah, don't worry. don't This, this is how you do this. Don't worry, guys. No issues. <laughs> it's easy to forget how revolutionary a mechanic it was. 
But the general scope and scale of Ocarina of Time is really what set it apart from Link's Awakening. The, the brilliance of, of the time shift that happens in the game when you transport seven years into the future and are suddenly in control of, of adult Link and are taking on much more hardcore dungeons. And it feels like the, the stakes have become a, a lot bigger. It's, it's, it's genius. And, and, and Chris, you alluded to the way in which like a lot of the setup of the game was actually serving the bigger purpose of, of being able to use the same assets, saving precious yeah. cartridge space. Yeah. And it's like, it's just incredible creative problem solving. And it's an incredible adventure. Like it feels huge. It feels epic. It feels important. Every single dungeon is almost an, an archetype of, of all the different dungeon types. You know, you've got the elemental ones like the fire, water, forest temples. You've got the obligatory spooky temple, a mountain dungeon, and of course the dungeon inside a big fish. That classic. And the big old fish, Lord Jabu Jabu, <laughs> is is where we saw the the master quest version of Ocarina of Time really lean into its very surreal edge. So the master quest is essentially feels like a licensed mod of Ocarina of Time. It, it makes several big changes to the game to sort of shake things up a bit and provide a, a, a bigger challenge. Like for a start, all, all the enemies do twice as much damage, which obviously makes the game a lot harder. Also, the entire game was mirror imaged, possibly where Nintendo's obsession <laughs> with making Link right-handed started before they flipped Twilight Princess on the Wii. And the dungeons themselves, whilst the general layout was the same, albeit flipped, had vastly different content in there, including in Jabu Jabu's belly, there were cows coming out of the walls <laughs> It was all very bizarre, very, very surreal. And uh, yeah, it didn't, it, it felt like I put the N64 into a big old game genie and had fucked about the code. But yeah, why not? It was, it was great to have this extra challenge to turn things, I mean, not quite on its head, certainly on its side into, you know, the recovery position <laughs> and, and give you, you know, a whole new experience in, in a familiar setting. Like I remember one time when I was a kid, I might have mentioned this before, me and my friend Brenton, we managed to play through the entire Master Quest, completing it 100%, all the heart pieces, finding all the gold sculpture without dying a single time. And we did this in like a 30-odd hour single session, which is mental. I mean, it's a brilliant game. It's an absolutely brilliant game. And quite surprisingly, it got even more brilliant when it was ported to the 3DS in Ocarina of Time 3D. It's oh, lovely. Yeah. The portable version of it added and changed quite a lot of things. For a start, the graphics were given a good overhaul and, and the character models now looked really, really good, especially. Like the game was, it was actually rebuilt in, entirely from scratch. It's not like an upscale port. So it, it really runs and plays like a modern game. Obviously, the whole game had stereoscopic 3D support, which was just amazing. Like making these expansive locations feel even bigger and broader and it also increased the frame rate to, to 30 frames per second over the original 20 frames per second and most importantly princess ruto is now wearing a modesty bra <laughs> some quality of life changes were introduced as well notably in the water temple which was a notorious dick in the original now the 3ds version had introduced some like glowing patterns and signs on the walls of the temple just to help you keep track of, of where the flow of water was going uh, which which made the dungeon fun for the first time and uh, and the other addition uh, to help in this in this dungeon was that it was just a little change but like the iron boots which were originally like a clothing option so you would go into a menu change you could change like your tunic or your boots now they were an equipable item so it meant that you could toggle them on and off with just a button press which meant that you could, yeah that was a really good change. That was a, a, yeah like again a game changer for, for actually just enjoying the water temple 
Like it helped that there were some additional buttons as well, so like map more items too, and 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 a bunch of things from from the HUD were were moved to the 3DS bottom screen. It, it made for a much just a much much better experience. And you know, if 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 I was returning to the game, I, I'd pick that version up over a port of the original any day without question. As a lovely additional extra, they they also included the Master Quest in the 3DS version as well, which is just brilliant. And also like a, there was a boss rush mode as well, like. It just it's a it's a brilliant package. It's it's a I mean it's a wonderful celebration of, of a, a landmark game and, and, and ultimately and, and you know more importantly, just a great game. When when you see top hundred lists, just be like, well, obviously Ocarina of Time's gonna be at number one, or Pong's gonna be at number one because it's so important, or you know, Mario Brothers is at number one because because that's where all games started. And it's easy to forget with like big landmark games actually just how just how good they can be. It's you know, obviously we've spoken about it earlier today, just talking about Mario sixty four and how you know certain element, elements of it really hold up against modern games, and that's because they were so revolutionary at establishing what has become such a familiar thing in modern games. And yeah, Ocarina of Time is is absolutely brilliant. You know, is a reason why it took them all the way from Ocarina of Time up to Breath of the Wild to actually change the formula of a Zelda game because. That's, it works. It works, and it's brilliant, and it's great. And uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. I need to finish it. You do need was to finish it. Was that this year you I do. was playing that? It you feels do. like 40,000 years ago. I don't, I don't know anymore. But yeah, I, I need to I need to find time to do it, because I, I was loving it so much, and I, mm. I need to boost up my little thread again, don't I, when I was posting the screenshots and uh, taking my way through it. Absolutely. We were, we were all loving that. Yeah, it was really nice. And then I've let you down. I'm sorry. I've let you down. <laughs> well, just don't apologise. Just, just, just make it right. So there we have it. Another three games. First of all, we had Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Three, and then we had Final Fantasy: Dawn of Souls. Before finally, The Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on social media. We really appreciate it when when you do that. We're always grateful to get some new listeners in and, and spread our fine word even further. You can reach out to us on our other social media channels as well. If you go to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents, you can find all of our video content. You can tune in to watch us stream live when we do that on Twitch at O3C Podcast. Also at O3C Podcast, you can find us on Instagram with that same handle. So do follow us on there as well. And we're on Facebook. You can reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Our Three Cents. Chat to us on there about any games that you're playing. Take us to task on our opinions over these games. You can even ask us questions you might like us to answer in a future episode. Or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. It's me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And if you really, really enjoyed this episode, please do consider checking out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Our3Cents. Have a little look at some of the amazing perks you can get for pledging just a few pennies our way. Again, we'd be very appreciative. And please do join us next time for our 18th favourite video games of all time. 1-8. 18th. Crack a beer for that one. sponsor and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor hey lassie what are you doing here timmy's in a well sequel cast two and friends is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time like harry potter hellraiser and the hobbit and sometimes the hosts talk about video games and tv as well and now it's part of the greenlit podcast network 
Oh, Lassie, we don't need to rescue Kimmy. He likes the well well enough, I guess. Darth Vader is Luke's father. Lassie, I told you to lay off the spoilers. Come on, guys, we're gonna be late for class. Oh, darn, not on our first day. Don't worry, I pressurized all of our bike tires to optimal PSI for speed. Wow. So we should be able to average 9.6 miles per hour, which should get us to class on time. We, we love, love Podford University, University for teaching us, for teaching teaching us, us these skills. skills. Podford University, iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts.